just there. Um, go ahead and uh, give this a shot, dude, if anyone who wants to uh, practice. I 
put that in the big box. So uh, we'll see. Um, we'll just start to load it That's why we need some all these wonderful names and pictures and stuff here. So uh, we'll start right here, verse 1, chapter 20. This is going to be the first two paragraphs. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent to the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out to Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him just as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to go back to Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, the son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, Icatus, Isaacus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. And when these, uh, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, and we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lands in the upstairs room where they were floating the moon. Seated in a window was a young man named Ludicus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down and threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after he, after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. So, two things just to recap there. So again, like you said, it started off in Ephesus. Uh, he headed up here to uh, Macedonia, down to... Um, uh, and he started back again. This occurred in Troas, which is on the way back. Uh, and you can see where the Oedipus was. Um, I was trying to think of something spiritual to say about Oedipus, speaking during Paul's teaching. Um, you know, I, I had a hard time coming up with something real spiritual. Um, you know, I had a few thoughts. One, we had a friend back at Colorado State where we used to do some late night prayer meetings, and this young man, uh, had a, a number of times he fell asleep in late night training, so we started calling some of you might know him, Brandon Cole, uh, from uh, the Rock there in Fort Collins. He, uh, uh, we also called him Ludicus as well, so he's kind of good to be careful where he finds himself sleeping in these days, and he can take on that nickname. Um, you know, I just thought it was interesting to see uh, where Paul's focus of midnight, and that wasn't enough, it kept going until the morning, you know, and it's, that's like a, that's a pretty serious deal, and, uh, and sometimes I feel like I can be a little long-winded, but I've never gone to midnight, and much less into the morning when I'm teaching here, and uh, with Eutychus, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's, you find yourself drowsy during the message, and the room is with many lamps, and it's hot, and it's on the third story, I would just encourage and that would be to sit by the window. You know, just stay away from the window. If you're feeling drowsy, feet over, feet somewhere a little safe for the land. Um, the other side of it, you know, Paul, uh, he could have stopped talking. He didn't have to talk on and on. I love how he records that. He could have talked on and on. And, uh, but in the end, uh, you know, I think that obviously Paul was able to, uh, you know, uh, pick up the pieces so that someone fell asleep in his teaching and 
idea of them to bring that to life. Um, you know, we don't necessarily guarantee that if it's all six years this morning. I'm taking chances, but it looks like they fall. But there's, there, we're going to skip on through that section. We're going to keep reading here. Boy, um, there's plenty of applications, I'm sure, in there. But keep the pages, try to stay away, stay away from the windows, and they're going, everything will be all right for you. Um, this next section, they sail on to, uh, uh, he gets close to Ephesus. He doesn't have to stop and Ephesus kind of sit back. I wonder, you know, if it's because he thought they were going to sell him there again if they had wanted to do before. Some say he was in a hurry. You know, it says here he was trying to get back all the way to Jerusalem by um, Pentecost, which is basically 50 days from when he started this little mini part of the journey. So he was kind of in a hurry. I think if he went back to Ephesus, he might have God, the word of his grace, 
which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that this, by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Himself. The Lord Jesus Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This uh, is a pretty powerful section here. Just amazing to see uh, the impact uh, of Paul's life on these men and women that he was speaking to. There's they were in tears, they were weeping over him, but they would never see him again. Um, they were weeping over how God had used Paul to help their lives, to impact their lives. Um, Paul just had a huge impact on, on these people and on these churches along the way. And you know, my hope is that each one of us, by looking at his example, would have that same type of impact, that type of impact that endears us to others as we follow Christ together, that if we had to say goodbye, we need people in tears, you know, and, and often that's what happens in our sense churches when we are in planting churches and starting new churches. One of the hardest things we do is when we have a group of people that are so dear to us, whom we love and have labored with, and we send them off somewhere else, you know, and that's it's a hard thing to do, but it's a part of expanding God's kingdom, and, and some of you have been on both sides of that. I'm sending someone off or I'm doing one to the extent, uh, like sent before Paul and to do But anyway, we're going to look at these examples from Paul here, and... You know, and hopefully they'll see the first one. So this first here is um, the first example we're going to look at. And um, I just, it's a pretty profound verse in a lot of ways, so we'll just read it again together. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the flock of the Jews. Um, you know, I, I just think it's kind of hard to say, you know, if someone asks you, uh, how are you doing with humility? What would you say? How, how many of you are doing great with humility right now? Yeah, we're watching TV, yeah. So, uh, you know, the most of us, you know, well, I can't say I'm doing great with humility because it's not very humble in and of itself. But then if I say I'm doing terrible with humility, well, well that's bad too because that means I'm just proud. Um, so it's kind of a trick question, but somehow, the Lord allowed Paul to say, hey, look, you know my life. And all this, he said, you know, you've been there with me. And he said, you know, I've served the Lord with great humility. And, you know, uh, Luke was recording the book of Acts, and Luke could have said, you know, he could have changed it. You know, Paul said he served the Lord with great humility, but I know otherwise. Or Paul served the Lord with decent humility. Um, but it was reported that Paul served the Lord with great humility. You know, so, um, really, that's, uh, that's our first point here. It's an example to serve, serve the Lord with great humility. It's an example for us to follow. And my question to all of us would be, how are you doing in serving the Lord with great humility? How are you doing? Um, a few thoughts that come to my mind when I think about this. There's a few things that he threw in that he didn't have to throw in there. He's like, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. You know, I don't know about you, but when I find myself in tears, Serving is not the first thing on top of my list to do. You know, I want to eradicate whatever's causing me tears or hardship, you know. And, and Paul served with great humility, even while there were tears coming from God. You know, how many of you, 
you get serious in the world, and it's a showstopper. You don't think about your roommates, your co-workers, your family. Fears bring you to a halt. All that fear and Not only that, you said he was severely deaf with some other translation state, even in the midst of trials. Again, you know, I think of my own life. When I get trials, things come to a halt. When I, when I have trials, or fears combined, or something, humility is not a part of the equation. And likely the opposite is. When, when I get stressed, when I have trials, it's easy to go, oh, I'm being a little harsh. I just snap at you because I have these trials. And that was a good excuse for that. I'm not a Paul's example. Paul said, look, they try to kill me when I'm serving the Lord with humility. I'm in fear and I'm serving the Lord with humility. And it's just a, yeah, that's a powerful example for us. And you know, just a few um, words I think of for my own life. Um, just on, you know, again, discussing how are you doing serving the Lord with great humility. Um, I remember a time where God was working on me in this area specifically with humility. Um, and there was, it was a couple of years after becoming a pastor, been on a number of mission trips. Um, Church and Fort Collins was going well, but I remember we went to a, a mission trip in Italy, and the month of May, we had this mission trip for several weeks there, and the month preceding that, I had just been going crazy busy. I had a pastor's conference, we were traveling, we did all sorts of things, and we just going, going, going. Got on the plane, and I just didn't sleep well on the 12, 13 hour flight. Stood up in Turin, Italy, and I just wasn't feeling that good. We went out to walk to the campus two miles that first day, and I came back, and I was just achy and felt terrible, and in the end, I got sick. I got really sick. I, I got, some of you probably heard of it, encephalitis. It's kind of a fever of the brain, swelling of the brain. It's not a fun thing. And so I spent roughly the first week of this two-week mission trip in bed at a hospital, and I was just sweating uh, without having fever to the tongue. It just felt like I took a meatless right in the middle of my eyes. And then I sweat profusely. It was horrible. And then my wife was on a mission trip with me, and she was five months pregnant. And so she's going to and from walking to and from campus, trying to help me out in the evening. It was just a horrible thing. Um, but during that time, eventually I was able to start reading the Bible. There were times where I just, I just laid in bed and sweated and ate. And, um, but eventually I started reading my Bible, and I was trying to go, God, what is going on? What are you trying to teach me here? And uh, I remember um, <clears throat> I was reading the one-year Bible at the time, and I happened to do this passage that uh, really I felt like God spoke to me and got my attention. Uh, it's a passage in uh, the you know, verse of the verse of this, you can look it up if you want to. First Samuel 15, verse 17. But the story is that uh, it's Saul, and you know, Saul was the first king. And when he came to the scene initially, he was just a scared guy. They said when they went to recognize him as king, he was hiding in the luggage. And they had to pull him out and put the sound on him and things like that. It was just really, you know, a timid guy. But over time, he started getting used to the power and to the way he was treated uh, differently than other people because of his position. And, and eventually, uh, the prophet Samuel had to come alongside uh, Saul and speak to him. And, you know, he was corrected, and he said, Saul, you're supposed to do this mission where you eradicate, you destroy the, the sheep, and don't take any of the plunder from, uh, you know, these people. But Saul didn't do it. He said, well, you know, I kept some of the good stuff. He was an offer to God, you know, apparently. And so Samuel said, no, he didn't obey. And uh, then he went on to say this. Um, verse 15, he said, stop, Samuel. 
stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? And in my own life, I was just thinking, you know, um, boy, I, I just felt like God brought my life to a standstill. A couple of years of being a pastor, I had a number of mission trips under my belt. Student ministry, I saw it go from a handful of people to hundreds. I could see a few there. And, but somewhere along the way, I think I, I was not living this way in the of the Lord. I got a little caught up in this thing. And I felt like the Lord would say to me, hey, Rick, remember when you were once small in your own eyes? Remember the first time you led a small group and you were scared out of your mind? Remember the first time you started campus ministry and had no clue what you were doing? You died to so many people. And now here we are, you kind of think you have a clue. I was just, uh, it, you know, I'm just laying in bed. I've got this verse there. You know, it goes on to say different things about, like, David for him. I'm not sure why you're why you trying to scare me. But I just felt like God took me to a jury of maybe getting back to the basis of serving the Lord's humble. And I just want to ask you, how, how are you doing? Are you serving the Lord's humble? Some of you, you've got years of following Christ under your belt. Uh, maybe you might remember back to those days when you first began when you didn't think you had a series. There's a time where over the years, some of us have developed an opinion. Some of us kind of like our own opinion about things in the Christian life. And remember when you didn't have that? Remember when you were just kind of soaking it up and just learning and... Um, you know, maybe the Lord would say to you this morning, remember when you were once small in your life? Uh, and I just encourage us all maybe to get back to that place. Um, you know, I think I say this is a lesson that God taught me, you know, back in 2002 or 2009, you know, you know, it's an easy understanding, but that's not true either. You know, just uh, even this week, I was just thinking about, okay, I'm just talking about the great humility that I serve the Lord with, you know, and uh, uh, I think around our house, uh, one of the things I try to do to help be a servant to my wife and my family is um, I, I do the dishes at night after dinner, you know. And so my wife cooks, she's an amazing meal, and I get the cleanup side of it. She the dishes, put things away. Um, but even recently, my wife kind of had a heart-to-heart talk to people in my life, and she said, you know, you know, you want to serve that way, but I've really been skipping out on that. And I was like, I'm trying to get back in the swing of doing the dishes and stuff, and uh, even this week there are a couple times I love it. Here I am, seven dishes, um, even last night, you know, thinking about the speech and great humility, and, but I just had this attitude when I was seven my dishes, like, I'm seven dishes, I'm serving here, don't mess with me, you know, good, don't mess with me, do exactly what I say, or you're in hot water, and, um, you know, and, and I was agitated as I was there. I was serving the Lord. Not with great humility, with probably some agitation, with you know, going through the motions. My daughter was trying to help out, and several times I snapped at her. I raised my voice at her, and you know, I could tell I heard her feeling. And I had to sit down at the end of this and say, Lord, God, be young, let's do this with me. And I think God's doing a work in my life again to get this attitude back. To serve the Lord with great humility. Um, and I hope you might look at your own life and see how you do. You know, um, You've been flashing your opinion around like it's something, something that people should listen to. You have a few missing tips under your belt. You've got a few promises, a few Christian books. You think there's something. I'm sure you get back to the state of thinking. You're not all that much at all. You're really, really great. You know, you're working on the end. I hope you can do it.
let's look at the next, uh, the next verse here. Um, I like this. Um, Paul is speaking to him again, and we read in our Bibles, we look at another translation as well, but it says, You know that I'm not hesitated to teach anything that would be helpful to you, but it's taught you publicly and from house to house. Um, I like the section has a few ends in it. One, he says I talk to publicly and house to house. So sometimes we can go, ah, it's all about big group teachings, that's what needs to happen. Or sometimes we go, oh, it's all about small group teachings, that house church is where it's at. Also, hey, look, I did it publicly and I did it from house to house. He goes on to say, I, I spoke to the, the Greeks and the non Greeks. You know, those who are Jewish and those who are Greek, those who had a religious background and those who don't. He went on to say, he preached repentance and faith. God. And there's a couple of ands there. Sometimes we could pick one side or the other. I, I reach out to the non-church. You know, those churchy people, they're just, you know, whatever. Beyond God's help or they just, well, sometimes we can decide. I, I'm with this group of people or that one. Or repentance. It's all about repent or die, you know. And uh, or the other side. Oh, who cares if you repent or not? Just as long as you find a Savior. If you believe in the Savior. Well, they go hand in hand, you know, if you don't realize you're a sinner, you don't let it change your mind, you don't need a Savior. Well, I have faith in a Savior, you never come to the conclusion that you need to be There's a couple of uh, hands I, I would watch out for there you know, as you go through it. But the point I'm trying to get here is that, how about this next verse? Um, the New Living picture like this, Paul speaking to these folks, he says, I never went back and telling you what you needed to do, publicly or in your home. You know, Paul saying, Folks, what you needed to hear, the point on this one is um, we need to have the love and the courage to tell people what they need to hear. You know, the alternative is to tell people what they want to hear. They're, they're looking for answers, they know what they want, and you know, sometimes we know what they want to hear, and we have a choice there. Sometimes you can tell them what they need to hear, and that might be different than what they want to hear. You know, Paul did this uh, obviously with those who didn't know God, but they didn't know Christ. And he, he got, you know, he did some very bold things as we've read through these stories. He was in the city of Athens where had all these different gods, and he says, hey, look, you guys missed it. Uh, these stones are no gods at all. You're, you're worshiping the things. They aren't the creator. They aren't the living God. Turn and worship the living God. He showed himself in Jesus, you know, and then, uh, that's a pretty strong thing to say in a city that is not prone to thinking that, in a culture that was not prone to thinking that. They needed to hear it. They needed to hear it wasn't these arginine gods, these unknown gods that are stone or silver, but that it was the living God they needed to turn to and, and to turn to Jesus Christ specifically. And starting with the gospel to other things, you know, it says Paul, he spoke them later on in this passage, so he spoke the whole counsel of God. And we just need to make sure that we learn from his example. You know, could you imagine Paul if he's starting up all these churches, you know, basically the New Testament letters and all these come, a lot of them in the wake of the ministry of Paul. I would have called him into a city and he goes, boy, uh, these people, I know they have issues if I talk about money. So I better just not talk about money to them because, uh, you know, people didn't get offended. They might leave the church and get started. Or another city, Ephesus, is prone to sexual immorality. We'll just leave that one alone. You know, we don't want to talk about that because the whole city is involved in uh, sexual immorality and worshiping the goddess of sexuality. Uh, let's just leave that one alone. Can you imagine what the church, the New Testament church, has been like at Paul for the grave to, to tell people what they needed to hear? Well, a lot of people probably didn't want to hear that. Hey, uh, sexual immorality is, you know, it's outside of God's will. It's, God has designed that to be something to experience between a man and a woman. 
you know, that was probably not a popular thing to share. That was real fair on that often. Um, so we, we just need to make sure we follow that example. Have the love and the courage. Sometimes we can say, oh, I just love someone so much, I just don't want to offend them. I don't want to, you know, I think of a couple of Proverbs you might, uh, you might write down or remember here on Proverbs. I think it's chapter 27, but um, it says, yeah. Back on, we just kind of a little argument is good for the soul, you know, kind of keeps the child, it keeps the 
um, on Father's Day and you start quarreling and you break the dam and the flood happens and says the servant of the Lord should not quarrel. You shouldn't be fighting. You shouldn't be arguing. So we had this pattern that we were working on and, uh, you know, I remember Rick and he was just full of society. I remember saying, hey, you got to stop it. You can't, you know, you may think it's okay. You may think it's, oh, we know how to handle it. But you got to stop. And um, I remember one time he, he was, I called him. I was working on a teaching, but we, we were fighting, and uh, I just got on the phone because so I was really discouraged. And I said, "Hey, you know, got this fight going on. We're ready to resolve it for us." And um, but somehow he brought up the idea. He's like, "Hey, Rich, how about we work out this year? How about this week? And you guys decide you can fight. You, you're going to quarrel, even though you know not to. How about we don't teach this week? How about we do something else?" And I was like. The main teaching that he's alongside to help out, but you know, he saw that not as his main job. And uh, so I'm like, well, who's going to teach? You know, we get fighting late in the week, like it was then. And uh, what are we just going to ask him? Hey, you want to share some thoughts in the morning? Um, he's like, you got to stop it. And it sobered me up that, you know, I had some different thinking from God had on this subject, and I needed to change my thinking very seriously. And I'm so glad. He loved me enough, he loved my wife and I enough that, that he spoke to that and helped us. And in the end, we got some breakthroughs. God brought about some breakthroughs. But you want to be someone who uh, would, you know, when you leave, when you go to start another church that people were weeping because of your involvement in their life, you need to be someone who loves you enough to share what they need to do, not to hug it further down that way. That's a great example Paul's given us. Another one here, I'm speaking of. Uh, this one is that, oh, let's see, that none of these things move me. Neither count I my life here unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify the gospel of the grace of God. This one uh, I pulled from the King James Version. If you look at this, it doesn't say that. I noticed that uh, some translations they draw to this section here. It says, uh, and they finish my course with joy. You look at some of the literal ones, King James and others, it's only this word joy. Um, you know, sometimes we could take, I'm just trying to finish the race. I'm trying to follow Christ, and I just hope to drag my body across the finish line because life is hard. Um, but Paul, you know, he thought, for one, hey, my life, my life is expendable. You know, I don't count myself important even to me. You know, we usually can have the opposite side. Like, hey, people might not think I'm important, but at least I know that I am, you know. And Paul saying, I don't even see myself as important, but the Lord has got a purpose. He's got something he wants me to do, and that's what I want to do. And I want to finish my race to joy. And we need to make sure we have that same attitude. The next one here is just run your race to joy. You know, I think sometimes we can think the bar is just finish the race. If I just finish, well, what happens if you fall short of finishing the race, you know? Uh, it doesn't leave you much buffer. If you fall short of finishing... Maybe you don't finish the Lord. Maybe you backslide. Maybe you uh, turn away from the Lord before the end of your race. So what if, if the bar is higher and finishing my race with joy? Well, what happens if we miss that? Well, I finished my race with a little bit of joy. Or I ran out of joy, but at least I finished the race. But when we drop the bar to just trying to finish, and sometimes we get disqualified from finishing the race at all. We make sure we keep a high bar like Paul had finished my course with joy. He's very personal in this. He says, uh, you know, I don't count myself this, this myself. I'm doing my course, the ministry that I've received, and 
And I think each one of us, you know, you need to realize the blind your race is yours. In a lot of ways, we have the same race. You know, we know we're supposed to love God with all our hearts. We know we're supposed to reach the world with the gospel, make disciples along the way. But in that, your race is going to look different than the person sitting next to you. Uh, we're all running the race, but we've got different... We're probably not going to get rocks thrown at you and get stoned like Paul did. Uh, and drugged out of the city or beaten with rods. Most of us, we might not choose persecution like that. That was Paul's race that he was running. He's trying to love the Lord with all his heart. Uh, take the good news to all creation. But he was running your race. And I think of it, the analogy is like we're all running around a track together. We've all got this track we're running around. But, um, you know, it might be the case... For someone running around the track has the inner lane. You know, what does that mean? It's sort of different. Someone else might go like, man, I'm out here in the outside lane. I'm running, running, running. They get the inside lane. Someone else on your track, uh, you might have a few hurdles that you've got to jump over. Someone else got the inner lane. They're just cruising. you got hurdles. Some of you might get like the steeple case. You're jumping over big hurdles with water on the other side of it. Um, you know, each one of our races looks a little different. Each one of us have different styles and different tiers, and you've got to run your race for sure. Um, and not worry about it. How come they get the internet? How come, how come they don't have to jump in the water? You know, um, God, is, God knows uh, the race he has for each one of us, the similarities, but there's going to be some little differences. So you're responsible for your race. And your race for joy. And then you find the church. That's an example that Paul gave us to run his race for joy. And it was a pretty tough race that he ran. Um, but it's old and it's just, um, hopefully we all have the same. The last one we'll look at here, here's an example from Paul. It's, um, he says, uh, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work you must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. I think I put a message in the spirit of messaging as well. I love how it's put in the message here. Paul <coughs> uh, speaking again to you and to me, and he said, I, I've never, as you know so well, had any place for wealth or fashion to keep bare hands. I took care of my own basically and those who work with me. And everything I've done, I've demonstrated to you how it is necessary to work on behalf of the youth and not to exploit them. You'll not likely go wrong here if you keep remembering that our master said, you thought happier giving than getting. And the point in this is just that you need to work hard and Paul said, look, I work hard with my hands, not only to take care of my own needs, to take care of the needs of the people around me, um, because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I just think that's a, that's a challenging example to me, and hopefully each one of you, but sometimes it's easy to go, my goal in life, you know, especially when I was single, I used to think like this, um, I just want to be traveling life, you know, I want to cut down my debts, my expenses, I just want to travel life so I can live on minimal money. Well, you know, Paul could have had that attitude, say, I'm traveling light here. But you know, when you're traveling light and you're just kind of worried about your expenses, um, you're probably not thinking about how you can help all the people around you. You probably won't even have the capacity to do that if you're just thinking about traveling life. But Paul worked so hard that he provided for himself, and he provided for those who need around him. Uh, and he taught something here that he reminds us of. This is the only place in the New Testament it's mentioned, but that Jesus said, more blessed to give than to receive. Um, you know, and I think that that's a spiritual thought. It's kind of a different thinking than where you go. I don't know. In my world, I think when people give me something, I'm blessed to receive it. That's awesome. You know, they give me something free. You know, um, we got a free lawnmower. Our lawnmower got stolen recently, and we got a free lawnmower off of uh, Highland's lawn. Is right here. 
fairly blessed with lawnmower, but it's free. And, and I received it, and I, I feel blessed to receive it. And last weekend, I had some help on it. My father-in-law and family and some others came and helped me. We made an outdoor living area with patio in our backyard, and they provided all that labor for free. And I felt blessed. But I think sometimes we, we get in the idea of thinking we're blessed by what we take, what we get. I'm blessed when people encourage me. I'm blessed when I receive love from others. I'm blessed when I, when I receive. And, and maybe that's true. But, you know, Jesus said, you're more blessed than you give. You're more blessed than you give. And you're the position you give. Uh, in a lot of ways, the, the more you give, it reflects on your spiritual maturity. You know, you think about a baby who comes into this world. I think about our little ones. All a baby does is take, take, take from the beginning. And then they take, take, take some more. And eventually, you know, they learn a few things like how to put a fork in their mouth. Eventually they learn how to, you know, uh, get their own glass of water from the fridge or things like that. But there's this process of being solely a faker. And then over time, you hope to turn into the one takes care of themselves, and not only that, one who can take care of others. And we just need to make sure we think that way in our spiritual life. Uh, are you more of a giver, or more, are you more of a taker? you feel like people need to give you encouragement, need to pick you up, need to show love to you? Sometimes it's easy to think, uh, I'm spiritually mature, I know what love looks like, and so I've got a guidance kind of thing here, and I'm going to figure out how well you're doing with loving don't love me that much. Oh, you love me pretty good. Are you, you know, we think that somehow the Christian life is uh, about how much love is collect, but really, God's economy, he says, you know, you can be measured by how much love you've given. Well, Jesus took it to the full extent and he gave all his blood, he gave his whole life, um, and it's more blessed to give it. It's nice to receive. That's a wonderful thing. The attitudes are all about you're blessed if you're a peacemaker, you're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness because you get it. This is the one place you could be more blessed than you did. Are you a giver? Are you a person? You just got nice to see that after all the example that he worked so hard that he could be a giver. The reason you use the body, you know, whether it's encouragement, um, whether it's financially, and that's an awesome example to ask. So, um, anyways, uh, these are some four, four encouraging examples. Did you see a fifth with you again? Um, you know, the first one is serving uh, the Lord. Great humility. The second one is speaking the things that people need to hear. The third one is running your race with joy. And the last one here is working hard so that you can be a giver. Um, and really, to conclude this all, I think one of the things Paul says when we tie it all together, he said, hey, look, he's given all these instructions, and he says, now you have all this instruction, I'm committing you to God and His grace. And the only way you're going to do any of this is by God and His grace in our lives that is to be more humble. God's grace to, to work harder. God's grace to keep the courage and love where we need to. God's grace uh, to run our race even when it's too harder than the person in the next generation. Um, but it's all empowered by God. I now commit you to God and to the word of His grace. And we just need to ask God to graciously help us. Help us in ways we don't deserve. Help us in ways we couldn't better write to. And we're just going to turn that way to Lord Jesus, we, uh, we just praise you for the example that you, you gave us in Paul. Lord Jesus, sometimes in your examples it's easy to go, yeah, but you were God. But we see in the life of another man, another human being just like us, these amazing things, Lord, and they're all from you and from your grace. God, I pray you would help us to follow these examples that we set in the life of Paul. 
help you make that conspiracy or that encouraging to try to help us to go to the speech what others need to hear from the gospel to any area of our lives. Help us to speak encouragement daily. Help us, Lord, to um, run our race with joy. God, to have joy. Paul is always in prison. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Help us to have joy, Lord, that we don't serve just out of beauty, but um, that we do it with joy as well. Lord, God, help us to um, uh, help us be one, Lord, to be um, uh, like the last one, Lord, to put us together. God, help us to be a you gave your life, you gave everything, sometimes we want to measure how well others do it, giving something. That's not how I see what you help us to do that, 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 you Thank you guys for joining us this morning. I hope, uh, hope we'll see you Wednesday night at the Distance Activities in Seattle. The Seattle Listenership uh, meeting about five minutes over in the corner here. So have a great rest of the day. Thanks for coming.